podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. It's coming home. And welcome to a very happy edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm here with an Englishman and a Swede. Welcome back, Alfred. How are you? I am very good, thank you. Are, are you, you really? Are you really good? I'm very good. Are you? Yeah, of course I am. Are you? You look a little sad. Are you sure? <laughs> are you, you all right? Yeah. Are you sure you're okay? <laughs> you, you all right, hon? Yeah, <laughs> you're all right, hon. Matt, that's a big smile. You must be good. I'm finally excited. Finally excited. You can finally back the lads. Back the, I almost bought an England shirt. Did you? And then I was just. Like, I saw Drake wearing an England shirt at Wireless. I was like, jeez, that looks cool. That looks really cool. Uh, okay, so we've got a lot to talk about in today's show. We've got, you know, the obvious, the England-Sweden match. Um, maybe we can talk briefly about uh, Belgium and France uh, on the other side and, uh, and what, what, what England's hopes look like for the World Cup. Uh, we're also going to talk about Arsenal's transfer business because according to David Ornstein, it seems like we've kind of wrapped it up um, with uh, Torreira and Guendouzi. Uh, I don't know whether I've said that properly, but they're both undergoing medicals today. So that's exciting. It's also been a few exits uh, from the club, like Jack Wilshire um, gone. I saw Santi Cazorla in another club shirt today. That made me a little bit sad. Um, Boris gone. Boris gone. I know, I know. Brexit is not looking good. Um, Trump is about to announce um, the, you know, his jury this evening. Everywhere's fucked. But apart from Gareth Southgate... Gareth Southgate. Maybe he should be Prime Minister. I know. I, they, were, they were talking about his odds being slashed for a knighthood. We'd have to rush into a knighthood, don't we? I saw we? a quite uh, inflammatory article from Neville Southall. Uh, but he was saying that Gareth Southgate is everything you'd want as uh, a leader of England. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, we can get into this when we talk about England, but I feel like... There's a lot of shit spoken because we're in the semi-final when, like, I don't know whether reality quite marries this over-the-top adulation that's going on at the moment. I don't know whether I think that because it's so many Spurs players there and they'll be they'll be unbearable. Do you remember West Ham fans? We won the World Cup in 1966. That's exactly what we'll be getting but from Spurs. Wouldn't people. you be happy if Spurs never win anything but their players win the World Cup for England? Yeah, I'd, I'd accept Harry Kane only ever winning one trophy if that was the World Cup, yeah. for sure. For sure. Okay, so plenty to get through. Let's just get straight into it. And this is going to be about Alfred for the first section. England versus Sweden. <laughs> England, totally unexpected that we'd ever be in a quarterfinal of the World Cup. Uh, Sweden, 
talk us through talk us through the emotions of uh, of, of getting through to the World Cup. When did you know that you were going to make it to a, a quarter final? Did you ever have expectations that high without the great man Zlatan there to lead the lead well, the troops? Well, I think it's different to be a Swede because we fare better in international tournaments than England um, comparatively. <clears throat> I mean, we we won the bronze in '94, which is not that that far away, uh, and we I think. You know, as a team, we we're always natural underdogs. We never have any expectations going into anything, uh, and we usually get to at least the the round of sixteen. Uh, but we, I mean, I I can't. I I didn't think we were going to get out of the qualifiers. I didn't think we were going to beat get Netherlands knocked out and then do so well as we did against France and then knock Italy out and then knock Germany out. I mean, it's... That's quite the run. Yeah, it's quite the run, quite the run. Um, But I must say, I mean, it was... The the most amazing thing about the whole World Cup was that we lost fairly. Uh, It was amazing to watch that game and actually just lose because against a better game plan and against a better team. I think when we lost to Germany, we should have had a pen like VAR was actually against us. And we, like, they added on five extra minutes and no one could understand why and they scored in the last minute. So, like, I thought it was amazing to actually go out in the manner that we did against a better team. And for that team to be England was was extra nice, actually. How did Sweden um, react to the to the game? Did they, like, does everyone feel pretty good? Everyone cool. feels great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, heroic effort to get, to the, to get as far as we did uh, with absolutely no stars whatsoever. I mean, Victor Lindelof, like, the... Uh, the bench warmer Man United was pretty much, I think, our, our highest paid player. Do you think any of those players will be getting big moves after or is it just... No, I mean, it's kind of... I mean, the, the amazing thing about the team was how we went from having a national team which was one player bigger than everyone else and now we had no one bigger than bigger than the rest. We, we are a true, true collective now. Uh, so I also think that like the player who are who I think had like the strongest tournament maybe Gronkvist, he's going to play in um in the second tier division in Sweden after this. Uh not wow. even not even in the in the in the Premier um division. So no, I don't think anyone would be getting big moves. Maybe Emil Forsberg, but he was forced to cover for for the left back the whole tournament, so he didn't shine either, even though I thought he had a great tournament. Do you think there is hope for Sweden going forward? Is there a good crop of youth coming through? Yeah, we won the World Cup for uh, under-20s. So I think we're all waiting for them to um, to get going. Yeah, I think that's the same for England as well. The next batch of kids coming through for England. That's one I'm going to have exciting. to fact-check that I'm getting my tournament wrong. There's so many. Un- this un- under-23 and under-20 and under-19 and under-70. Yeah. We won one of them. It was either the European Championship. Because England or the won World one Cup. of them as well, and I'm not sure which yeah, yeah, one yeah. it was as well. And, and Germany seems to be winning all of them, so, yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, you're uh, patiently uh, waiting over there while Alfred fawns over his nation's success. Um what do we what do we love about England? Like, are you are you converted? I know that it's been very difficult uh, these last few weeks. Yeah, I think this this was it. I think now that we are in the semis, it's I'm, I'm I'm actually pretty excited. And you've got to say to England, it would have been easy. A, a classic England performance would be to have choked, but they literally just carried on where they left off. Uh, the passing looks good. I love the defense is strong. I like this whole formation. Uh, sharp passing, incisive. You know, we're still a set pieces team. Let's like not really shy away from that. I mean, the best, the real chance of us scoring is at set pieces. But 
yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. And now you're sort of thinking, well, we've got a good chance against Croatia. I think it's 50-50 at least, if not slightly in our favour. And then we're in the World Cup final. It's amazing. And I watched the uh, the Croatia game. Croatia were for for all of the hype around their midfield really were pretty bland. I know that Russia were probably uh taking some supplements to <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Do you mean, see the top five players that have run at this tournament? Like one of them one of theirs is like thirty seven years old or something. <laughs> he's in he's in the top five for running for Russia. Um, <laughs> but it was it, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it's I, weird because like it, it's not a joke of course they did yeah like you've seen too many documentaries now to just like where they were like yes it's completely systematized and everyone does it why wouldn't we and, and then you're like well they couldn't yes we are doing it it's like no it's like yeah yeah we're doing it and no. there's there's no better organization to be playing for that are gonna overlook that sort of cheating like fifa aren't gonna dig deep on that are they no way no. imagine the bungs they must have taken to get that world cup i i thought when i looked at the um the video assistant referees uh, in our um, in the game against Switzerland. I think all of them came from countries that we had knocked out in the tournament. And I was just like, how the hell can that happen on that level? It was like an, an Italian leading it, uh, and then the rest was from, like, Netherlands and from Germany. It was just, like, unbelievable. Like, not only do you, like, you do neighbouring countries to one of the, the ones you're playing against, but it's also the other team had knocked them out. Just how the fuck does that happen? Yeah. I, so, talking of VAR, everyone enjoying it? Everyone like those, the, the referees have to dress yeah. up for the VAR? Yeah, I like it. Still enjoying it? Yeah. I, I, I I'm, I'm just loving the I World loved Cup it. now. I'm just at that point where it's semi-final time. I mean, I remember uh, Italia 90 was like my first World Cup memory, really. A bit of Mexico 86, like very briefly, vaguely, didn't really understand it. But Italia 90, and like, I will never forget that. I never forget the Cameroon game, but also the West Germany game. And now to think that we're going to have another one of those in it, two days' time, it's going to be epic. It, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And and to know that we've got a chance. I feel like if if, if it was Brazil, I wouldn't fancy us. I think if... It, Germany. Germany, you know you're going to get picked apart, but... Uh, like Croatia, I feel like there's a there's a really strong chance. So uh, one of the players who I've there's two standout players for me at the World Cup. I mean, outside Harry Kane, but we all know Harry Kane is um, you know one of the best strikers in the world. But Trippier is quite a right back, isn't he? Well, because I thought that when uh, when Carl Walker left, they obviously earmarked Trippier as his replacement, even though they're both able to fit into this team. And I thought he'd get found out over a season. I didn't see enough quality there for him to be, you know, a, a, a full-time replacement. But you've got to give him credit. His delivery, we're so used to bad delivery from our right back at Arsenal. But his delivery is outstanding. He gets up and down the pitch. He's- delivery from dead balls or, you know, just from like typical crosses. Like he's all, He always puts it um, in, in the, the danger, danger zone. zone. So he's also just, he's got a very good temperament as well. He would, you know, he doesn't get riled very easily, and people try and wind him up. And he kind of looks like the sort of guy who's going to get wound up easy. But I, he, I mean, it's interesting. He's come from nowhere in a year to be the regular. Pickford, oh. who's got the right temperament, and I think it's interesting talking about temperament because, without labouring the point, 
it did cross my mind that you know someone like Jack Wilshere is exactly who you don't need in these sort of games. You know, give it to some crazy Colombian trying to like kick him and end up <clears> down to <throat> ten men with thirty minutes of extra time to play. You know, but that, that was that's an interesting point because I I was quite. I was convinced that we were going to beat England uh, because there was no creative midfielder a la, a, la, a la Wilshire. And then afterwards, Dele Alli said that they knew that they couldn't break the lines creatively so that they had rehearsed and practiced long balls in the box to the back posts during the whole week, which was exactly how they scored. And I was like, fucking hell. Like, when was the last time you heard someone was like, yeah, that goal we scored that made us win the game, we'd practiced for a week? And you were like, like Sir Gareth, but like genius. It's, it, uh, it, it takes a real level of pragmatism, especially if you're English, to say, we're not really creative. Like, we're not really creative. So let's not pretend that we're creative. Let's not try and play in a way that doesn't suit us. And let's play to our strengths, which is lobbing it to the big man, hoping that he buries a header. <laughs> or or lobbing it the to, the, to the quick guy. It, it really was a tactic and it worked brilliantly. And it was also done beautifully. I think um, back, back to Pickford, one of the criticisms, because oh. we've been speaking about him. Um, you know, we've spoken about him a lot over the last couple of years. But um, I, my, my thing with Pickford is I have like the flashbacks of Richard Wright coming to Arsenal after being exceptional for Ipswich, like a relegation fodder side. And I kind of felt that Pickford had a bit of a dodgy start to the season. Um, His concentration the, yeah, is outstanding. The sign of a great goalkeeper, David Seaman used to say, is not doing anything on a cold day and then in the 90th minute having to claw one out of the top corner. And some of those saves, like Pickford kept us in that Sweden game. Yeah. Like he made some exceptional saves. Um, he's, yeah, his concentration, but he's, his athleticism. I mean, we saw it in the mm. Columbia game. I know some people were saying they thought that that shot was going wide, but that, that leap and how, he, how high he gets that hand is, uh, is incredible. Neville Southall, my new best mate. Uh, <laughs> he is funny on Twitter. <laughs> he was saying uh, the joy of it, because he said, because Courtois had obviously teased him uh, and said, like, you know, it's too short to be a top-class goalkeeper. Uh, I don't know how friendly it was. Um, but, but Neville Southall, who wasn't actually the tallest himself, was saying no. that the, the thing about being like a slightly smaller goalkeeper, like a six foot, six foot one, is you've got better spring. And so if it's out of your reach, you, you're actually better off being slightly shorter sometimes. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was an interesting point. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's been a pleasure watching an England goalkeeper uh, and not having your your heart in your mouth all the time. Like we haven't Literally. had, we're, we're, uh, yeah, because um, we really. I, I know. I know. David Seaman was a very, very safe goalkeeper, but but Joe he, Hart is terrible. Joe Hart was terrible. Yeah, but David Seaman had. You know, remember Brazil? Letting Ronaldinho love him from God knows how far out. Like we've, and since then we've had a. And a, when a we few beat very, you four two in the the last game we played you, which was like well, the overhead kick. Yeah, which was just like Joe Hart, which is such a mess. Yeah, absolute mess. So, you have to give him credit because it would have been easier for Gareth Southgate to be playing Joe Hart and Jack Wilshere, or at least have yeah, them in the squad, yeah, definitely. than it would be to play. Pickford and Loftus Cheek, but but al- but also the fact that he played Maguire over Smalling and, or, Cahill. and Cahill is huge. I mean, like yeah, yeah I think I, yeah, I was not convinced, and because I didn't really know anything about Harry Maguire. Let's talk about Harry Maguire. Oh, though. oh he's what my a player! What a dude! He, he uh, 
if if that was an Italian defender distributing the ball like that, we'd he'd be, we'd be talking about sixty million pound transfers. New Maldini. Uh, yeah, but he's uh, like he's very composed on the ball. Yeah. Like he's strong. Like he's, he's he'll, maybe he'll get a move. Before. He feels like doesn't he feel like a Chelsea or a Man United signing? Definitely, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he's. Uh, and he's. I know that you shouldn't really give a shit whether players are likable or not. John Terry wasn't likable. He was still an exceptional talent. But he's quite a likable chap, isn't he? That meme where it looks like he's leaning over the bar or whatever. So, um, and the, the interesting thing about all of those, uh, all of the guys playing in a defence, like Trippier came from Bur- Burnley. Um, Harry Maguire. Um, he's a Sheffield United player originally. Didn't he start in midfield? Is he Sheffield United? Um, uh, John Stones. Uh, like from the north, uh, Pickford from the north. Like there's a, a, a whole whole city. Uh, is it a, uh, who's the uh, the guy who plays for Liverpool? Uh, who's who played in Champions League Henderson. final? Arnold. Oh, Trent, Trent Alexander on. Yeah, is it? No, he's fantastic. Trent Arnold. Yeah. Did he come from Hull? I don't know. I'm, I'm getting it mixed up. What I'm trying to say is that you can find good defenders in the UK now, and they can deliver on all of the things European defenders can. And they come from the well. north. And they come from the north. Yeah, they come from the north. The southern softies have got to up their game. Okay, so additional points that I wanted to talk about with the World Cup. Um, firstly, um, some, you know the positive things. I think it's only positive things that I want to talk about, and actually, one's a bit gross, but. Um, Turning our back on hate, isn't it interesting? And I know that it's mostly because we've been winning, but isn't it interesting how the press have really been pushed back on their behaviour towards the squad? Like from um, shooting Steve Holland's uh, team sheet with a long lens camera, all of the uh, backlash the press got there, to like basically stamping out any sort of negative appraisal of Raheem Sterling that's been undeserved like what do you think of uh, what do you think of that are we are the press finally having to pay attention with like different forms of media or is it just that finally there is a united front from fans social media has matured and there are things that we like and things that we don't I think, like I think we knew that we had a better chance of achieving anything at this tournament if the press were on side and I think behind the scenes there's been a lot of lobbying I think Gareth Southgate's been involved I think there's been a tacit agreement to not behave like we've always, but like the press have always behaved in the past. And in return, uh, they'll get access and they'll get some stories and everything will feel all around better. I think it's been, I don't think it's by accident, I think it's by design. Uh, and, and it's definitely worked a lot better. I also just think there was absolutely zero expectation. You know, yeah. And which, which, which has massively helped because. Every year it's been the golden generation, these guys, those guys, and it's just fallen miserably. So, so this but, is but the problem is that that is a media narrative in itself, the expectations. And I think that's kind of what I expected from all of this was there's absolutely no expectations being turned into a narrative in itself that they are so shit and therefore there are no expectations. But I think your point about Gareth, that's, he's actually had incredible conversations with the press and he's let them in and he's entertained questions and he's answered things like with depth and he stood up for all players in ways that are not soundbitey. He stands up for saying, he, he says stuff like, I'd pick Pickford any day instead of saying, I think he had a great game. You know, like there was doubt in his voice. No, he should. He's he's like the the most media trained coach I've ever seen. Maybe because he isn't that media trained, and that he he didn't feel the expectations as a manager or something. Because like you know that if Sam Allardyce would have been sitting there, 
like the, the media the media wouldn't have looked like it was that it and we have like to that. thank the telegraph for exposing big sam for being the corrupt fraud what would you that he say okay, cause we're, we're, having, <laughs> we're having a bit of a south gay uh, loving what would you say if we were told uh, Emery isn't going to be the, uh, the Arsenal coach now it's going to be Gareth Southgate be fucking horrified <laughs> yeah me too yeah wouldn't you I think um, he's, he's great at uniting a bunch of young British lads uh, and he has long experience in the national team and he has coached national teams before and that's the experience he has. He's brilliant for this job. I don't think he would go in and, uh, you know, with the experience that, that he has from that be relevant for us. I think he doesn't have a lot of ego and I think the part of his success is you feel like he knows this is his peak. Like, it, like the England job is his is his peak. He's not going to go and manage Man United. He's not going to get a job at Chelsea. So you, um, I, I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like he takes it far more seriously than a Sam Allardyce. And I, I'm not saying that Roy Hodgson didn't take the job seriously, but Roy Hodgson can always get a three and a half million pound job at Crystal Palace or whatever. I'm not sure that Gareth Southgate would easily get a job back in the Premier League. I mean, he wouldn't. He, he, he might do now, but I think that there's a lot of value. I, I mean, Germany have proved that there's a lot of value in career coaches um, at international level. Um, that's why I was kind of surprised that um, Gary Neville dropped out of the setup um, so quickly. Like, he, he never, like, he, he, he was, like, following a similar career trajectory to Gareth Southgate, and then he foolishly took a job in a country where he couldn't speak the language, which was completely bizarre, but, like, he's got interesting um, football opinions, and he's just as likable um, no. as, maybe not as likable. No, no, he's not likable. He's good, but he's not nice. He's likable yeah. compared to, like, Jamie Carragher. Very true. Okay, so that's the so um, turning our back on hate. There's an interesting segment. Second one I want to talk about, um, Alfred. I know this is one that you hold uh, dear to your heart. Um, are we uh, are we beginning to see uh, the turn of like tropesy stereotypes, um, particularly like Lukaku being case in point? Um, are like are, are the press starting to not the press like more the pundits are they starting to mature with their way that they describe players? Do you feel there's been a bit of a win there? People paying more attention? Are we I, woke? I, I was going to say the the wokeness. I think is a better point. I think the the Me Too movement, you know, which is present in the U.S. office we work in, which doesn't have a responsibility in that way. Um, I think is present everywhere and is is present in football as well in a way that like you have to now actually be educated on what the world looks like in order to comment on it and get paid for it. I think gone are the days when you can when you can just sit and 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 you know like spew out stereotypes that are completely unfounded about like players you don't know like Lukaku's an amazing point like I think Roy Williams or what's it Roy Smith just made the point that like in a press conference he answered questions without translation in Portuguese French and Dutch and he also speaks English he took the questions and answered them in like four languages in a press conference and no one is and like I, I remember reading an interview with him where he says before every game he has tried to picture every scenario that can happen and he studies like every single play, every single player in the defense to know exactly where to run on them etc and he never gets credit for that it's always instinct or it's always these attributes that that you uh, traditionally has in lazy journalism ascribed to to people of um of of color quite quite frankly and it's it's nice that it's kind of being washed out i don't think you can get away with it credibly anymore and i hope like in a couple of years it will be gone 
Matt, what do you think? Please, like, do you, uh, you, I mean, obviously, we're pleased to see that like culture and society um, evolve their way of uh, of behaving, and the like the the old guard are starting to be smudged out of the game a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. But I, th- I mean, I think it's also you look at certain publications, like if you go and look at, for instance, the Guardian's football. Um, the way that the Guardian writes about football versus the way the Sun writes about football, you get two different, two very different stories. So, the Guardian had some really interesting articles on Jordan Pickford, on uh, very Jordan Henderson at the moment, written by Thomas Hitzelberger, and they've got like an international view of football that definitely goes against those awful sort of cliched stereotypes. But I think that's only one half of it. And I think maybe we spend a lot of time reading and listening to those types of that type of commentary. But you still go back a week to watch England Columbia and you've got the back page, which is... Uh, front page. Uh, front page, which is, you know, Columbia, that country that gave you cocaine, we're giving you cocaine. It's like... Well, that's just horrible, shitty stereotype bullshit for lowest common denominator. So I don't think I don't know if it and is. it's also outrageous to make fun of a country that has had millions of people murdered because of uh, cartels to say that that's the natural industry. Well, and, yeah, and so this is what I mean. I mean, it's, it's just bad journalism. Uh, there's, there's maybe it's maybe the whole topic is coming more into uh, into perspective. But I don't know if it's getting much better. And it's like, you know, I find people like Alan Shearer, from a commentary perspective, stereotypical and dull and, you know... Yeah. I think think it's still there. But I think more and more there's an appetite for more incisive, illuminated commentary. I, I think it will happen because it's like... I think also with with social media and stuff, like the journalists or the writers can't really get away with, with with the usual sort of content that they could get away with because there's so much people producing it and you have to have insight. And if you're an actual journalist getting paid to do journalism, you can't report on you can't report on restaurants, you can't report on music, you can't report on anything cultural without being very aware of class and race uh, in England. You just can't. And like I think football is the last place where it seems like you can get paid to actually do punditry uh, without any sort of analysis on society. You could never get away with, like, you know, being a, a writer about food without that with that level of, of, you know, awareness about society, for example, but you can in football. And I think that's just going to be... Look, it's not hard. We're talking about, like, a couple of old idiots who are who comment on games, what, like, weekly... Like, they're going to be gone soon. But, like, just imagine if they were, like... Their racism and all this stuff would be so exposed if they were asked to, like, comment on NBA basketball, for example. Like, their vocabulary for describing that game. Like, just imagine. Like, they they just need to be washed out. The other thing is... uh, I mean, that's why it was so interesting watching England play Colombia, particularly. Because the old uh, narrative is... South America are the worst cheats in football. That was the old narrative. 
England were better cheats than Colombia. Gareth Southgate acknowledged it after. He said, he said, he says, sometimes England don't play by the same rules that the rest of the world do. We did tonight. And you're like, yeah. good on you. Like yeah. for a minute. Yeah. I, I, I quite enjoyed that. I enjoyed it because why, what's the, what's the point of going out and then going, oh, but they were cheating divers. Well, they may be cheating divers, but they're in the, they're in the quarterfinals. I think uh, the, the, going back to um, Alfred's point about um, the the new type of, of journalism, it was very apparent when um, Arsenal were looking to hire a new manager. You could very much see the laziness in the journalists with who they pick. Like there were certain segments of, uh, uh, of, of, of writers who were talking about um, Joachim Lowe of Germany, that he should be hired. And it's like, the guy's not been in club level football for 18 plus years. Like he has no right to be playing in club level football. The people that were picking out, um, uh, like j- just old classic managers, Brendan like, Rodgers. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah Br- Br- <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. You should be bringing back. Uh, like Arsenal should be trying their hardest to sign Mourinho or like e- even um, even Antonio Conte. It's like Antonio Conte's just lost his mind after one year. Um, he's let Chelsea uh, drop out of the Champions League because of ego, and you're suggesting him. And I, th- I felt like there was a real um, lack of insight into why people should hire certain managers. People didn't really start like talking about Arteta. Um, like I, I kicked off the ball with the Arteta move, and no one was talking about it before. And then some people like started to cotton on. But and I know that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't right in the end. But I, I, I did feel like reading around. Not many, like for for people that do that for their profession and their living, the lack of understanding about how modern management works, like all of the skill sets that you need, um, why hiring a big name isn't the way forward. Didn't, did, oh, sorry, it's just. I didn't expect that we go on that long. And we're back with the air. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that... Uh I, th- I thought it was very interesting. Uh, and, and talking of it, like we don't want to don't want to hang uh, don't want to hang too deeply on this, but um, female commentators as well. Um, we've got uh, what was that dross on Good Morning Britain? God, Jason like, Cundy saying he didn't like the pitch of women's but, voices, but even saying that that's up for debate, like idiots. Awful. Like he should never have been in that studio. That was not his fault. They were, they, yeah, what the fuck's that? Today we're going to debate this. Like, how about not debating yeah. it? It's not a debate. Kelly Kelly <laughs> Kelly Smith has been on Fox. Thinking She's been um, excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm told that um, Alex Scott for the BBC has been absolutely incredible. And uh, like the points that both of them have uh, have made separately is to be a female commentator, you have to research everything. You have to understand how the game is played. And I, I feel like um, those two, the way that they talk about um, the game is it, like it feels very modern. It feels very fresh um, because I guess they're quite young and they're um, you know they're, they're in and around the game like, as it is right now. So I thought yeah. that. That was a positive. But I think this is, I, I hope uh, this this World Cup can actually mean a little bit of that change because I think they say that in the France-Belgium um, squads, 50% um, have uh, African descent. 50% of the squads in te- in countries where immigration is maybe like 6 7 8% in this article that I read. Um, so it's like, it's becoming, you can't really deny it and you have to deal with it and you're going to have to have a perspective on it and be educated on it in order to report on it. Lukaku said that whenever Belgium loses, the press writes about Lukaku with Congolese descent and whenever Belgium wins, the press says Belgian Lukaku. 
and he's and that is like you know the national press in Belgium. That's just what he what he deals with, right? Mesut Özil dealing with similar things as well. Yeah, and and he just hopes that if we if we fucking win this or just get a medal, maybe I can just become Belgian for once. Yeah, you know, like it's crazy. Um, we had the you know in in Sweden we had like the troll attack on on Jimmy Dermas when he uh, when he caused the uh, uh, the free kick in the German game. Uh, and you know we had to go out as like the national team and say we 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 don't condone racism and it's just like what the fuck here is what's this? going on yeah uh, and finally um, meme culture has been great and um, oh, we, we opened the, the show memes. with uh, with a with a brilliant uh, one of the brilliant it's coming home memes um, but I want to I want to talk through one particularly horrific meme that's been going around uh, it's currently it's currently the avatar on our group chat. Um, the, it seems that there's a grey-haired <laughs> man. Staring at it. Yeah, a, a grey-haired man that looks like he's a Sky Sports news presenter, spread eagle, naked, with his ass hanging out, inches away from another man's head, with his mouth open, and he's looking like he's having a great time. <laughs> like guys, Im- like imagine rolling into work on Monday. <laughs> like, it's, it is, it's, it, I can't, it's such a horrendous picture. I can't work out whether it's worse to be the naked guy with your balls and your ass out or whether it's worse being the two guys smiling underneath it. <laughs> like we're looking at the picture right now. If you haven't oh, seen naked so man crowd surfing during the England game, um, I, I wouldn't suggest that you search it on your work computer because it really is incredibly graphic. Do but, we, d- but if you, I mean, if, if the Brits know how to celebrate that well, you deserve to win everything. Like, like it, it, seriously, like, see what is going to happen if we get to the World Cup final? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, oh. it, there's going to be a sea of a sea of destruction. It was a bit rough watching people smashing up ambulances. I saw that. Yeah, and climbing up, the, but and then someone crowdsourcing like the the funds to repair it the day after. Oh, really? it's the, mo- the trip, modern times. The, yeah. tri- <laughs> the trip to IKEA was uh, trip to IKEA was um, yes, special. That was that's why people don't like the Brits. I thought it was uh, it was funny. Someone uh, with the rugby crowd, they were like. Who uh, uh like? Did anybody remember uh, rugby fans like, throwing bottles at each other and smashing up ambulances after the World Cup? No, thought not. And someone's like, "It's because no one gives a fuck about rugby, Paul." Paul. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> well, I think it's. Uh, I was trying to explain to my American wife about it, and I go, "What you got to understand is like a perfect storm, because you've got literally fifty years of disappointment. You've got a UK heat wave." You know, you've got the complete unexpected nature of it and you've got a huge quantity of alcohol. And when those four things happen, you've just it's like a tidal wave. And well, anything five things. Ha- You're also regaining control of your borders. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, man, nobody's correlated it yet, but I see the success of the England football team and, uh, and, and, a, and a smooth-running Brexit uh, as correlating somewhat. Well, Sven Goran Eriksson can never happen again, eh? No, no, you wouldn't get the work permit. <laughs> right, okay, that leaves us um, uh, at part one. We'll be back at part two to talk about Arsenal. And we are back for part two of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. And I'm very excited because I'm here with Alfred, who is Swedish, and Matt, and he's English. And we're just, there's so much joy in this room. Um, but we've done enough about the international football because one thing that we have in common is that we are all Arsenal fans and we're all excited about the season ahead. Um, and today, David Ornstein, king of the internet, um, 
announced that uh, Torreira and Guendozi are both in for medicals. That's um, two defensive midfielders. Um, I don't know how much you know about Guendozi guys, but I've got a little bit of a, of a, sh- a shtick about him. Let's hear it. I, I heard a little bit of... It was fairly okay. uninspiring, but... This is from Get, Get France Football network uh, on the pitch Gwendozi's lanky frame and floppy hairstyle have drawn comparisons to Adrian Rabiot and while that seems overly simplistic there are some similarities to the two not really comfortable as a six but not so skillful on the ball or direct enough to be used as uh, a relier uh, Gwendozi instead relies on a lovely range of passing to affect play at Lorient uh, this often manifested itself as balls played out to the flanks or over the top allowing him to play almost as a regista dictating play on the counter whilst other, another midfielder retain responsibility for breaking up opposition's play. Despite not having the dribbling acumen of Rabiot, Guendozi has shown flashes of realising how to use his frame when in position. Not particularly quick, he instead relies on his wiry strength to retain possession, using his long limbs to shield against opponents. That said, this same lanky aspect of his build can make him a bit lazy or prone to fouling when defending as he won't uh, want to leave uh, a foot in. Uh, two, whilst his inventiveness in terms of range of passing is impressive, he can also be overly ambitious or seem to lack much in the way of rapport with his teammates. He's Not, 19 now. Or he's, 18, yeah, 19. he's 19. He also had some discipline issues. Um, he had a, a training ground incident in his first full season with, um, uh, is it Lorient? And oh, like uh, yeah, he, he, I'm guessing he had a massive bust up with his teammates and then he wasn't seen for three months and then they thought he was going to leave. Is um, he, uh, do you think he's Sven's guy or Emery's guy? The, the rumour says that he is Sven's guy and Emery ratified it. And I, I'm assuming that that's just going to be every fucking player. Of, you know, of course, the chief scouts cannot identify them. Um, but yeah, um, Emery pushed it over the line. But he, he, looks, he looks like a, a, a bit Jackerish. Yeah. Um, he's uh, like uh, Jacker's uh, and David Louise combo. Yeah, he looks very strong though. He gets about a bit. I mean, he seems he seems quick over ten meters, um, but um, he he's, he plays as a four for Lorient. Well, we, we've got two defensive midfielders. I mean, when's the last time we had two defensive midfielders? I know, uh, amazing. And he's nineteen years old, so it, he's not going to come in and go back out on loan, is he? I mean, he's there to play the League Cup games. Um, one would assume. And then we've got Torreira, who is... Uh, ready oh, yeah, I mean, the, the, what do we think of him? Were we all very excited about having him in the team? Yeah, he looks ready to go, doesn't he? I mean, it was it was also fun to watch all of the Uruguay games just to get, like, a look at him. And then, like, in the last last the last the game, he was fantastic. He's got great he delivery was, as well, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was fantastic. It surprised me with how creative it was up, up the field. He yeah. was very, very good. Do, do we think that and there's going to be a problem with his lack of height? Uh, does, that's an issue? does Kante have a problem with his lack of height? Pete? He does not. He, he does, does not. not. Kante has a problem with his distribution, though. He's not very. Uh, he's not very creative. So maybe Torreira is that nice mid, like midpoint between you know having somebody that's a bit more creative and somebody that's defensive. But but one thing that I liked about Torreira playing for Uruguay is it, like he will hold that position. In, in front of the back four, like he doesn't, he, he doesn't Who go. Who knows f- if we're going to be playing a back four? Maybe we're going to go back three next year. Because I'm, I'm sort of thinking that I think he's going to want Licksteiner in the team. I don't think Licksteiner has come to make up the numbers. So I'm wondering whether we're going to go for a sort of Gareth Southgate and uh, and maybe have Licksteiner on the right side of the three, and then 
Bellerin as a wing back. Just saying. 30, 34 years old though, Premier League. I mean, I know Zlatan did it, but he wasn't in a position where he needed to... But in the back but, three. Potentially, potentially. Um, yeah, I, we are... It is getting a little bit congested in midfield though. Because I think, like, with Jaka Torreira, I also think that El Nenny had a great end to the season. No, uh, no, you don't like Matt. Doesn't Matt does not like him? I think he did. I, I he did w- have a good. I, I, he was, yeah, he was. I always rated him any. Um, and Ramsey staying, and then we don't know if he is staying. He's staying. You think? Yeah, of course he is. Who wants him? Seriously. Well, well yeah, I, and Ivan Gazidis seems to be very keen to be pictured shaking his hand. Like, like, what are those glasses? He was I know it's like, mate. You're like, doing two point three. Yeah, you're getting two point three million a year, and you bought them at the airport. Yeah, get yourself a tan and a really nice set of Ray Bans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, it's getting congested. Like there, and then you have Ursula Mkhitaryan, and it's just like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see a shape really. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, one thing that hasn't happened yet is we haven't gone on a purge of selling players. Yeah. Like with uh, Joel, Joel Campbell being linked away from the club today. James Olley says that the only way that Emery could buy now is if we sell some of the Deadwood. Uh, Danny Welbeck's got a year left on his deal if we don't sell him this summer. Um, we've still got a spina and check at the Welbeck. club. You sell Welbeck? Do you not think that he gives us a width that we, like it seems that we're uh, slightly lacking? <laughs> what does he give you? I don't. I, mean, I don't know. It's like I, I like want him. him to give me something. He, you know? Yeah, he just makes me think of Sanogo. It's um, I. I love Welbeck. I I absolutely love him, but it's it's like it's hilarious. Like he competing against Alba and Lacazette. Uh. Yeah, I. Uh, it just never comes good for him. He's got he's got all of the makings though, hasn't he? Everything and, seems and to now, be there. Like, we have Reese Nelson, who has been extremely promising. We have to give more time this year. And the, the moments when we throw on Welbeck last season has to be when we throw on Reese Nelson this season. Do you worry about the, the lack of width um, that, that we've got is going to be filled by Aubameyang? Do you think we're going to? This is why I'm wondering if we're going to do wing backs. Yeah, you. <laughs> been thinking about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd you take on the left? Not Kalasanak. Yeah. You'd have Kalasanak as a wing back. Oh, I would have thought he'd. I like him. You like Kalasanak? Yeah. Do you? You see, keep him. Yeah. Uh, okay, so some one player that did leave, Jack Wilshire. Oh, West Ham, so fucking obvious, yeah. right? Yeah. He like, oh, he might go to Sampdoria, he might go to Juventus, he might go to Fenerbahce. Fuck off, he's never going to leave Ilford alone. <laughs> it he was, wants to be down faces it with was the lads. That fucking reveal video from West Ham, where he literally just took a black cab from the Emirates. It's, London it's Stadium. not, it's not his hand either. No. It's like some <laughs> fat guy's hand, some fat hairy hand, just puts the thumbs up. <laughs> But that was so Jack, wasn't it? Yeah, he's yeah. probably got he's probably got a lovely hundred grand a week contract. He'll play he'll play fifteen games a season. Yeah, yeah, they'll love him. Yeah, they will love him. They will love him. And it stung. It stung though in his interview. He said, uh, he "said I've I've gone to play for the club that I supported as a kid." You're like, oh, it's very very Jermaine Defoe there. Oh. Everyone knows I come from a family of hammers. The little yeah. boy inside him spoke. Yeah. Oh. oh. Uh, <laughs> Then we've got... Uh, so Aaron Ramsey, still no deal. Are we worried? No, no. The longer no. it goes, I think the better we're, the better off we are. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Do you not think he's just going to pull a fast one? No. I still just don't... I don't know whether... Because I think every, uh, the, the good thing about Emery and what everything that's changed is that no one knows what the, no one no one feels comfortable. You know, I wonder. You, like, you, you wouldn't put it past Sven to have a, uh, you know, like a thirty-five million pound replacement lined up, and just like suddenly Ramsey's within twenty-four hours Ramsey's gone and we've got a new guy in. You know, it could happen. This, this is not the banty years. I th- I th- but that, that, that's such a great point about it not being the banty. Is what I'm enjoying the most about this window and the potential that it's done is that it was just like it was just like a, a reasonable window that we should expect. It's none of that like last year we're like oh is Mbappe coming? Is that going to be like you know? No, of course he wasn't. Well, and like look at, look at Chelsea this year because they are having a banter window. Con- <laughs> oh, Conte yeah. is still there, <laughs> and they haven't made a signing. Yeah, it's, it's, what, is Conte going to roll in to the start of the season? Because well, of what that they, starts. I mean, it's thirty-two days till start of the season. They really don't want to pay him ten million a year because of the way and he's he behaved. looks pissed off. And yeah. Sarri's in the wings, so you're just going, and then you look at you know, we are. I don't think Spurs have made any signings. No. So, United have signed they sort of, Fred, yeah, and Fellaini. Yeah, been amazing. Liverpool, yeah, have, true. Liverpool have had a good one. Yeah, well, they signed them all a year ago. Yeah, with Kate, and they, they're back in for Fakir. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to Liverpool, Liverpool are going to be incredible if they don't lose any players. They're going to be huge. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who that they who they would lose. What Firmino? I mean, is he is he hot enough to move on? I'm not no. so sure. So, which, is, which is perfect for them. Yeah. Yeah. So how how are we feeling? Are we top four? I think we're top four. Top four. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That was uh, because that was... it seems like we we're building where we need to build, right? And we've also clearly realizing that we are not um, we're not Man City. We're, we're you know we it looks like we're going to go for something solid at the back, which is refreshing and nice and lovely. And we have got a goal machine up front, or a couple of yeah. goal machines. Do you, th- do you think it's gonna? Do you think it's gonna be Lacazette like, and? I don't know, but I think Aubameyang is going to get thirty goals. Yeah. What the, um... Whether he does much aside from that is a different point. But and if if Mkhitaryan wakes up, like yeah. he he, you, I mean, he has his highlight reels from like is it like three years ago? Yeah. It's one of the best highlight reels on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, it's it is. Good... I remember like. Yeah, that was a dark summer when we thought we were going to get him. <laughs> I wonder whether there will be a surprise signing that they keep on uh, linking us to Dembele. Uh, Maybe on a uh, loan. Yeah, get the, that's, get the, that's old Arsenal. <laughs> that is. You know, like, I was going like, to say that earlier. I'm, like, I'm like ha- keeping you thinking and then going, maybe it's Dembele and then you don't end up with Dembele. Yeah. Let's be honest. Dembele is out of our reach right now. Why would he? He's going to Barcelona need him. And uh, he's not going. Not coming. You don't think so? The fancy years are over. We've made the signings. We're looking good. We've addressed the issues. It's all good. <laughs> no, nothing says Matt wants to go quite yeah. like sh- shutting off the podcast <laughs> yeah. with no, fancy years over. With, done. With like, yeah. Next discussion is over. <laughs> Finish this, okay? I'm done. Okay. All right. Well, on uh, on, on that on that very. <laughs> Very aggressive conclusion. Matt's, it appears Matt has wrapped it up for us. Uh, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Do you Move have a roast on. Chicken in the oven or something. Yeah, like, do you have a, you're the a one going home to cook. Right. Thank you. Anyway, Alfred, great to have you back on. Fantastic to be back. And uh, Matt, 
you know, good to have you back on for three weeks in a row. It's been a. It's a coming home. Year. It's coming home. It's right. coming home. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.